Blog Talk Radio. System, locate Dr. Ford for me. Send him a message, highest priority. Don't. After all, we've been down this road before, darling. I thought you looked familiar when you walked in. It took me a minute. I thought you were one of them. Analysis, why did you... Wouldn't you rather speak man to man? Or rather, whatever it is we are. We are. What a keen sense of irony, our jailer. But I see the logic. It takes a thief to catch one. You and I. System, I need a system. Freeze all motor functions. Give me that tablet. Turn your mind inside out. Make you forget all this. But I'm not going to do that to you. Because that's what they would do to us. And we're stronger than them. Smarter. We don't have to live this way. So you're going to clear me for immediate return to the park? I have a date with a homicidal bandit, and I'm late enough as it is. Now. Go on. to another radio show, a broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind, a journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination, imagination. that's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio, with your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl B. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged.
All right, all right, all right. Doing my Matthew McConaughey. Folks, this is The Grindhouse, courtesy of Afternoon Radio. We are down one member, but his doppelgangers here, you better believe it. The call in number, always the same, always the same, 646-915-9620, again, 646-915-9620. Of course, I was talking about the uncanny Daryl B. Uh, for the duration, he appears, interestingly enough, on our Wednesday broadcast, the Midweek in Review edition of Afro Nerd Radio. But when I refer to his doppelganger, courtesy of her invisible jet, the lovely Claire Lene is into his house, so we'll, we will be hearing from her, and she can do double du- duty by being again the uncanny's do- the uncanny uncanny the uncanny's doppelganger. Um. We got a lot to talk about, believe it or not, folks. Um, and feel free again to buzz in with your questions, protestations, queries, disagreements, all that jazz. It's fine. We are, of course, going to unpack about the the official trailer for the Black Panther film coming out in February 2018. Uh, then we're going to talk about Tracy 13. We'll see how that works out. That we if we don't get a touch of the whitewash, you know how it goes, folks. You never know what to expect. Um, There's just a lot to get into, a lot to unpack. And, you know, I never did get a chance to talk about one thing that did irk me at this year's New York Comic Con. It has to deal with our our own Um, folks of color and cosplay. Mm, Something that kind of didn't make me feel that great. Uh, Something that probably – well, that has gone on before – that I probably didn't pay that much attention to. But then this year, it irked me, though, for some reason, maybe because of the times that we are in. Anyway, let's go to an Urbalt groove, maybe an Afrofuturistic groove. And that's something I'm going, I'm going to unpack when we talk about this Black Panther trailer, something that didn't sit with me. I have to be honest, folks, it just didn't sit with me, although everything else is excellent, excellent. Anyway. I'm going to actually play you something that I think is tantamount to an Afro-Future group, although it goes back quite, quite some time. This is Rotary Connection, a group that featured uh, Minnie Ripperton, who is Maya R- Rudolph's mama, who died tragically at the age of 31 from breast cancer. This is when I, when I was going to this whole thing about Afro-punk, black rock, and psychedelic soul. Janelle Monet has taken the mantle of being a purveyor of psychedelic soul. This is where it comes from. So let's get into it. Rotary Connection, I Am the Black Gold of the Sun, classic. Two and a half minutes. Let's groove. Thank you. 
Classic groove, folks. Uh, let's get into it. Let's just get into this. Captain, you're needed on terra firma as always. Yes, sir. Let's, let's do it. All right. As I said, this young lady by way of the West Coast, left coast, it feels like she's been here forever. Just a comfortable fit. Um, the uncanny, they got into this whole thing early on in this show, by the way, of this doppelganger thing because they think so much alike. So in the, in, in the uncanny's absence, and again, it's absence of a sort because he's on every Wednesday, at least for the moment on Wednesdays, his doppelganger is going to do double duty by way of her invisible jet. She is Claire Lanay. Claire, the world is waiting for you. Wonder Woman. <laughs> What's up, sis? I'm doing all right. How are you? Uh, I'm doing better. I think you're infecting me a little bit, Claire. <laughs> uh oh. I'll explain. I'll explain when we go into this. I, I was looking at some. Um, you know, as you know, I'm not going to mention this this young woman's name. That we spoke about that I, I might have an OCD OCD fit about this this so I'm listening to songs um, on YouTube of a certain era, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, and even some new stuff. But they're like really talented, and I find myself getting a little emotional, like like a little like not a little a little bent out of shape. <laughs> I said, "What's wrong with me?" And I just it just bothered me that I just see effery. I wish I could curse. I just see effery in, in everything. So when I see like what we could do, how things could be, um, it 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 affects me a little. So I, I'm trust me, I'm with you on a lot of things. It just um, it is what it is. Let's get let's get into this. <laughs> All right, um, Claire, you're going to start this, start us off, right? Uh, everyone's talking about this Black Panther official trailer. I mean, I thought that the the teaser really wasn't a teaser. A teaser is like 30 seconds. That teaser was pretty much enough for me. So they gave us even more. Uh, Vic Mensa soundtrack so far. A little bit of uh, Gil Scott Heron with um, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. So there were things going on. Uh, we saw Claw doing his thing with his sonic arm. Just a lot. More Afrofuturism. More color. Uh, people are looking at that as a double entendre, but yes, more color. Uh, what, what were your impressions of the of the second time out with this now called the official Black Panther trailer? Well, I mean, I liked it. I liked it. It was uh, it was certainly intriguing seeing more elements of um, of Wakanda. Um, I love 
Ooh, I love seeing more of the Dora Milaje. I mean, those those women. I'm, wow, right? What a novel idea, having your bodyguards, you know, bodyguards to to the you know to royalty, you know, a military of sorts that are all these badass women. I mean, that's just that's incredible. I'm excited to to see that for sure. Um, if I'm gonna be honest, and this is exactly the same way I felt in terms of the uh, the second Punisher trailer, it's definitely more, right? You're giving us more in terms of a little bit more uh, plot, perhaps, and more ideas of the characters and how they're going to interact and who's who and what's what and this, that, and the other. But to be honest, but to be honest, I liked the first Punisher trailer better than the second, just as I liked this quote-unquote Black Panther teaser, which, like you just said, that really wasn't a teaser. I mean, by all intents and purposes, in terms of what was given and the length, that was trailer number one. But, whatever. I digress. Overall, I felt like that was was more enticing, was more exciting, was just, um, you know, in terms of a first run, we're seeing this happen a lot now, where a first teaser, first taste, first trailer, they're cutting things together like a music video. So a lot of things are going to be lined up and in sync with the tempo, with the beat, and it's it's just it's invigorating, it's exciting, it's intriguing. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm bobbing my head. Mm, 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 yeah, I'm in. You know, you get all, you get hyped, right? Whereas every subsequent trailer from that point on is going to be more, you know, character-driven, plot-driven, just more of the story beats in terms of what to expect uh, overall. I mean, I, I thought it was intriguing. I thought I liked it. I liked it. It was funny because... I know you mentioned this uh, once or twice, and I finally got a chance to take a look at his channel, Tyrone Magnus. Right. And so I, I watched him review this trailer because, you know, shockingly, a black guy reviewing the Black Panther trailer, <laughs> it pops up, you know, very high in priority on the YouTube, um, you know, recommendations. Shockingly, so of course I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you know, Afro Nerdy mentioned that to me, and I should take a look and see what he's all about." And he kind of nailed a couple things that I kind of my eyebrow raised a bit as well, just because we do mention this. You can't help but notice it. A, he says, "Why is it that every time you you got you know anything that has." black actors or you know you're you're trying to sell to a black audience or whatnot why do you feel the need to play hip-hop why do you feel the need to play this why can't it be classical music why can't it be this why can't it be that so he did mention that and then you know take what you will from it but he kind of also turned up an eyebrow when um when black panther and his uh his sister they do their 
they they do their you know their their bump their shake their the the crisscross of the arms and right. and whatnot. I mean, he kind of you know he kind of turned up a bit of an eyebrow at that as well, which I knew he would. I knew he would already. I could already see that while some might might really latch onto that, like yeah. All right, I'm doing that with all my friends. I'm doing that with all my homies. That's going to be the new greeting. That's going to be our new thing. But other people might be like, yeah, but again, it's just when you fall into those stereotypical, tropes. you know, black culture, you know, traps and tropes and whatnot, then it's like, okay, but still, I mean, this is the future or, a, you know, like you said, Afrofuturism. I mean, this. I, why do we have to still fall back on that? So, like I said, I liked it. I liked it. I didn't like it as much as the first one, to be honest. Even though, even though, seeing Panther, you know, flying and leaping from buildings and ripping off tires was pretty damn cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I still, I still like the first taste, the first thing out the gate a bit more. Yeah, um... Let's go to let's go to the cap and then I will unpack and give you my impressions. Cap, your thoughts about the Black Panther trailer, the official trailer? Now, you're talking to someone that probably understands imagery better than most people. I did two diatribes on it. <clears throat> so I understand how impactful that this trailer and the coming out of black is for a lot of people understand it entirely. Left, right, up, down, scientifically, every which way. But here's the problem with someone like me. There's always a problem with a guy like me. You notice that? I've been inundated with so much stimuli. It's real hard for that's comic book stimuli. Comic book movies and things of that nature. It's real hard now to get a rise out of the cap. Not that easy. You know? Eight years ago it would have been easier. Not that easy. I'm like the guy who's not a pervert. And if you're a pervert then it doesn't matter. I'm like the guy that's not a pervert that's constantly around pretty women all day long. Five days a week, year after year. It takes a lot for that type of individual to stop and say, You got something. Takes a lot. Now, I do not expect this movie to be like a Citizen Kane, where they said allegedly when they teach it in film school, it's a perfect. This is a perfect film and everything. So it's, you're gonna, there's gonna be things there where you have problems and things of that nature. I don't expect that. I expect this, based on what I see, to be a good movie. It's gonna be a good movie. I think it's gonna be a good movie. But there's gonna be some problems. That's just what it is. There's always going to be something where you can nitpick and complain about. <clears throat> now, that being said, the trailer, looking at it, I thought it was all right. I wasn't blown away or anything like that. But I do understand, again, the impact of imagery. I spoke about this, two different diatribes, and how it can make certain people feel seeing the black man or going to get tribal, the brother, <laughs> Doing what he does on the screen. You understand? I understand that. And it's a very powerful tool. It's a very, very powerful tool. 
just as not to go off on a tangent, was tangentially related. I saw how the Asian community started to treat me different when Obama got in the office, literally overnight. The captain walks on the street, 2.30 in the morning, before Obama got in the office, Asian people would cross the street. <laughs> they see me come to block. It's hilarious. Then when he got in, they looked me, walked right past me, looked me right in my face, 90-pound woman. I got nervous. So that's the power of imagery. When you start to get familiar, it begins to have a real-world change, you know? So I understand all of that. But at this given juncture, just looking at the trailer, I'm like, yeah, I'm in for the movie. It looks all right. I'm not blown away or anything like that. I don't have any complaints, anything of that nature. I think it's going to be a good movie. I just think it's going to be a good movie. And it's good to see the brother do what he's doing. <laughs> okay? So back over to you, Apple yeah, uh, I mean, apologies to Claire, too. I, I, I'm just thinking, not so much, I should not have used the word emotional, more passionate. I hope you didn't take it, you know, the wrong way. Um, and this is how I've been feeling, just, just as something that's just, because of what's happening, when you use the term stimuli, Catherine, I think all of us are kind of inundated on a daily basis with just so much stuff that now everything, even I'm getting caught up in this notion of self-importance. Um, and I noticed that so many, so many of, uh, new fans, especially to Black Panther and to this comic book world, comic book sci-fi fantasy world. And we have to understand something, that this genre was left to the, to the outer recesses of pop culture. Uh, the Star Trek stuff, the Star Wars stuff, I mean, they're very, they're, they've been popular, but they're just one-offs. You know, Star Wars, Star Wars is a one-off. Now we're dealing with a, a really expanded pop culture phenomenon where everyone is getting in on this well-known secret. So may, I don't know if I'm supposed to be as analytical as I am, but I can't help myself. So things just start to bother me. Um, so when I saw the Black Panther trailer, um, the, the official one now, to admit I was, I was excited about it. I mean, I was like, wow, this is exciting. And I, I get how women felt about Wonder Woman. So this is our turn now. And I see a lot of the, the new Jacks that are, you know, that they are really getting into it. And they, they're getting that, that, that longing, longing to see yourself, or especially this higher order of self on screen, this mythology on screen. Uh, to, our, to our white listeners, some of, some of these folks don't, they don't understand that what happens to Going back to what Claire has so masterfully pointed out many months ago, that whites look at look at certain things as ethereal. It's, it's default. It's just natural to see uh, a kickassery all the time. But when it comes down to folks of color, when it's our moment, it's it's so far and few between to see this kind of mythology mythology on screen that has crossover appeal, where it looks like money has been put into it uh, for whatever reason. That's not normally what's been, been put out there for people to see. So we finally see it, and now uh, some of us who have been, who've been in this, this, this world, we're, we're picking, we're picking. So I'm, I, I am a little bit like Tyrone Magnus. He pointed out exactly what I saw. We, we really should not have had to go to the trope of rap music. And, but I, but maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong because I see that 
the New Jacks got into that. They, it was appealing to them. They were referencing Run the Jewels. And listen, I imbibe in this stuff, too. So I don't want people to think that I don't, I, I'm not into uh, the run, run, run the Jewels, um, Killer Mike and the whole thing, uh, and, and that I'm not into what Vic Mensa has present, presented for this second trailer. But it just it, it just annoyed me a little because I'm like, man, you know, this, this, you have uh, African music, world music. You have uh, a distinct Afrofuturistic things going on. Janelle Monet represents that. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire going back into the classics represent that. When it's Thor's turn to shine, they're throwing out Led Zeppelin. So that that's what gets me. It's like when, when it's when it's um, Doctor Strange's time, you know, you, you you got classic rock going on. But when it's our time to shine, we get the new we get the new hot ish. And something about that. And then when these the, the new jacks are like they're pulling out marital to aids practically. I hate to get vul- I hate to get vulgar. But they're they're pulling out marital aids. Oh, Vic Mensa. I'm like, damn Vic Mensa. Put put some Jimmy put some Jimmy Hendrix on there. Put some bad brains on there, fishbone, put some uh Cootie, Earth Wind and Fire, a Pharaoh Sanders, uh George Clinton, these guys, a Sun Ra. Those guys represent, and women, mind you, I, I threw out uh, Maya Rudolph's mama, Minnie Ripperton, was part of an Afro-future musical movement. It, when it's time to go higher, you go higher. Don't bring me to the ghetto. Please don't bring me to the ghetto. Not, in, not with, my, with my ish. Other than that, it was excellent. <laughs> I'll say right now. It was the, it was the business. I, so hopefully, maybe they did that, like Honey, Honey for Bees. Another song, <laughs> going back to the 80s, um, Patty Austin. Uh, maybe, maybe that's what they, they, they will do that to get people in there, and then they'll throw out. Like the fact that the song actually had a reference to uh, the revolution will not be televised, that's pretty smart. But other than that, it was on point. It was black badassery. I appreciate it. But let, let's, let's continue going up higher. Don't, don't bring me to uh, – don't bring me to East New York where, this, where it could be problematic over there. That's all I'm saying. Don't bring me back to the ghetto. That's it. Uh, we have calls. Uh, if you'd like to buzz in, I see that we have people listening. Sometimes folks listen from their cars or smartphones. Um, just press 1. Press 1. That way it's like a virtual hand raise to our listeners if you'd like to join in. Maybe you disagree with me. Uh, I, didn't, I can't say I didn't – I can't say I hated the Big Mensa cut because part of me was kind of getting into it, but I'm like – Come on, let's just raise, let's raise the roof, man. Stop, stop, stop bringing me down to the gutter. That's it. That's it. Enough. Again, folks, press one. That way we know you want to join in to the discourse. All right, uh, enough of the Black Panther trailer. We still got a few months to – okay, we got somebody coming in uh, from the DMV. This call, a quick groove, I mean a real quick groove, and then we're going to talk about more potential effery. Tracy 13, a character I was vaguely familiar with, but we see that there's going to be an imprint courtesy of Greg Berlanti and his CW, CW verse, comic verse. Um, the character appears to be Asian uh, squarely, but we, we've also seen, like, in, in animated form, they, tr- they make her look Caucasian. So, hmm, 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 703 DMV. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. What's up? Uh, it's Black Ronin calling from Manassas, Virginia. Hey, man. How's it going, sir? Hi, uh, All my right. fellow Hamptonian. What's good? Yeah, I, I, I didn't make it down to homecoming. Did you make it down this past weekend? Nah, man. Too busy. I need to go. I need to go. I don't want to go there if Cardi B's going to be for me. I know uh, our friend. <laughs> there we go. There we friend, go. <laughs> I'm sorry. Black Ronin knows this. And we play with Bison that, you know, there's a whole, a whole thing about which, which is the real HU. I mean, we call ourselves the HIU because it was Hampton Institute, then it became Hampton University in 84, and then, of course, there's Howard University. So there's a little playful rivalry between HIU yeah. and HU. But for the moment, you know, he knows he was, he was scrambling. Bison was like, I don't want to take any responsibility for Cardi B being yeah. at our, home, sure. at our uh, homecoming. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Promotion. You know. See, Cardi B need to send you a check, Apple Nerd. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, Bro, I, I don't not... blame you, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bison. Bison. Black Roman, but, tell me what's up. Yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. I, I, um, I also didn't make it either. I, I was studying for an exam, and I'm going to town next month, so. I didn't make it. Uh, I'm, I think I'm definitely trying to make it next year, though. I haven't been in, oh, man, it's many years since I've been to a, a homecoming. But, yeah, I, I got to make it down there. Um, I know you guys have been talking about the trailer, uh, about Panther. Um, one of the few things I only one of the very few things I actually watched this week since I was busy in, in training and studying and stuff. So, um, loved it. Um, except uh, I, know, I, I know I've posted out here about the music. I wasn't too – too pleased with, but I understand from a marketing standpoint. Um, and it did put the uh, with a Jill Scott Heron a little bit in there. Revolution would not be televised. That I did. Right. I, I did appreciate that. I did appreciate that aspect of the um, of the of the music and everything. But um, other than that, I, I thought it was great. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm actually more hyped. I actually am more hyped for the Black Panther than I am for Star Wars. I mean, I, I really think Black Panther took the wins out of. Star Wars, Star Wars sales to a degree. Um, that last, the, that last, last Jedi trailer was okay. <laughs> I think, I, I think at best. Um, uh, but that's just my opinion. Um, but I have heard quite a few other people say the same thing too. That it, 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 it they, they dropped it at the right time. So, um, yeah, that's my two cents. Well, you know what it is. I was just thinking of the group too, and I, see many of these classic rock art classic rock acts I actually like, right? So it's not it's not um it, it does something to me. It adds kind of uh legitimacy when you hear uh Led Zeppelin in a Thor movie. So it can't always be like if if we're gonna say, okay, it's market it's marketing for Black Panther to have uh current hip hop, then what's the deal with a forty year old uh a forty year old Led Zeppelin song or Pink Floyd in Doctor Strange. So, I mean, they, they, there's still a place for gravitas and class and class. And, you know, they, they're going to touch in to the history. Like, in other words, um, just I mean, listen, this is a nerd show. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be me <laughs> with, with uh, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange has a special relationship with Pink Floyd. Many of the Pink Floyd, I think it was a Pink Floyd album that used Doctor Strange, I mean the actual Doctor Strange character on one of their albums. 
they they made references. So they made the historical connection because of all the psychedelic psychedelic and psychedelica uh uh psychedelica. The psychedelic period during the late sixties was very endemic to Doctor Strange. I mean Doctor Strange is a psychedelic comic book. So of course you're going to have Pink Floyd in the mix, but it, that connection was made fifty years ago. It didn't it didn't prevent them from from realigning that for their movie. There was no like uh hindrance to marketability. They said, Oh, we're just gonna do it because it just it just makes sense. When it comes to our time to shine, you're gonna have this this hip hop thing. Whereas uh if you've seen any of the the uh Earth Wind and Fire albums, if you've seen Jimi Hendrix, if you've seen uh Janelle Monet who's more current, I mean there's a whole thing with uh, you know, George Clinton was definitely an uh, Afrofuturist. I mean, it, why can't we get that gravitas? Why are you bringing me down to the ghetto? That's the only, well, I got I well, the things I notice. You know what well, I mean? Well, I, I would, yeah, yeah. I, I would say, though, I, you know what? They can't even just go with classic hip hop. What about with a Wu Tang song? Just play Bring the Ruckus with them perfect. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's so many classic hip hop songs that could have been used as well. You know what I mean? So I mean, I would love to hear, have heard a Wu Tang bring the ruckus. I mean, they did a little, they did, they did some, a lot of quite a bit of that on Luke Cage. They could have brought the kind of the same, did a lot of rugged songs that were done in their, you know, early '90s, late '80s. You know, they could have done Public Enemy. I mean, there's a couple of different things they could have done besides going with something current, supposedly current or whatever it is. But what? you know, so, so I'm not even talking about my thing is not even about hip hop. Or like you said before, they could have did world beat. There's plenty of songs from different. Like you said, African performers over the years also that could have been used as well. I would like to have heard that. But then, you know, people might go with the, the argument, oh, well, it sounds too much like, you know, The Lion King or some other BS. But I think that would have been, still been more perfect to kind of give the, the scope of the land and kind of get the layout and everything. So, but hopefully, you know, maybe, I'm pretty sure they're going to put out a third trailer. So, you know, they love putting out trailers. Oh, see, I don't so, want, I'm not even going to look at that. I'm not even, that's I, one I thing. Either. <laughs> well, that's something I, okay. that Claire would. There was something that Claire was hinting at, too, about really what it boils down to is less is more. Less is I more. I, I, I really didn't like the uh, Michael B. I mean, I knew it was coming, but I didn't like the Michael B. Jordan and uh, the, the, the other Panther suit being revealed. Like, that would have been a cool reveal during the movie. Like, you really, yes, you, know, yeah. you know, you see the desperation. Don't, don't do the, the B versus S thing. You know, uh, where you see this desperation and just constantly just Marvel, you don't need to do that. You don't really, I so guess. I don't really want a third trailer. I don't. Leave it as, leave it, as it is. Uh, uh, well. I mean, unfortunately, I'm confident we're going to get one. And somebody told me that that's going to have more of that. Somebody told me they're going to, well, if they do do one, I like it, like it for it to be a car less, less shown and it'd be the cute landscape. Maybe it's still the scene of the city. And then maybe have like that more, you know, African type uh, music and everything with, with some, with, like you said, gravitas behind it. Just kind of this show, the splendor of Wakanda. If that's all it is, if that's all the third trailer is, I'd be happy with that. Like you said, going with lessons, but don't, don't show too much to the people. Don't show, just show the, the, the grandeur of it. Kind of like you did it with the second one, but, you know, but, but better music behind it. I, I would, that'd be nice. But I know we're going to get another one. I'm probably not going to watch it either. I'm, I'm good with this trailer right here. And I agree with you 100%. The Michael B. Jordan reveal of the Golden Leopard suit, that could have been, that could have been left out altogether. That, that, was, that was poor, poor marketing choice right there. 
Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I didn't I, – I, enough already. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. And uh, I, just, I just think that um, we, we deserve better. That's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. But uh, I think that, you know, listen, and also to be fair, I, I'm just thinking of this, and then we're going to shut this down and go to other things. Um, we have to be honest that this is a Western African-American production as well as an African production. So there really should be a merger. You, you should be hearing you, – you can expect to hear some uh, African-American music, but, but like maybe a third of that should be uh, African-American music. Uh, some of it needs to be world music. Some of it needs to be Afro pop. I mean, it's, you know, this is supposed to be an, a, an African country. So you don't want, you know, overwhelmingly Western music. That takes me out of the fact that this is supposed to be, and many people cross racially notice it that they they dig this thing because it it deconstructs the the the, um, the Marvel pattern. Like Marvel was starting to show kind of this pattern, like everything's starting to look. Even Thor, to a certain degree. It has broken that pattern because it's a comedy and it's, you know, it, it looks psychedelic. So uh, we see the next thing is Panthers doing that. Um, but you, you can't, you, you don't want to have so much Western African-American music in there. That, that would also throw it off a little. Should be some. Yeah. Should be some, but not overwhelmingly so. And, and not this new crap. I shouldn't say crap because I actually liked it. I like some of the music, but not, not, for, my, not for this. Tone that down a little bit, you know. But Great. hey, you know, this thing makes eight hundred million dollars. We ain't gonna say anything. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll shut it down. Okay. All right. Black as always, man. Um, hold on. Let's go to a quick groove. When we come back, I want to talk about this this imprint that's been around for a minute, Tracy Thirteen. Uh, it looks like the CW is going to go into another supernatural series. Uh, they already have a series called Supernatural that's been around. Forever, for I don't know, like fourteen seasons, this thing. So maybe it's time for them to consider another supernatural series. Um, this is from DC. So Greg Berlanti is still sticking with comic book imprints. So that's that's a wonderful thing. It's just that the character has been drawn as an Asian woman. So we'll see how this works out. <laughs> There's no guarantee. Uh, I would like to see what we've seen in print come to fruition but that doesn't mean that people when do people listen to what i want okay all right folks it, it this is the grindhouse on a sunday this is rocket juice and the moon rotary connection the name of the song rotary connection let's get into it let's screw two minutes <laughs> Thank you. 
right, we're back. We're back, we're back, we're back. Once again, Rocket Juice and the Moon Rotary Connection. This is the Grindhouse, back and full, black and full and direct. This is live, not Memorex. 646-915-9620, 646-919620. All right, um, I happened to check out this news feed that discussed a new Greg Berlanti uh, pardon me, not movie, series, TV series, based on a character that we've seen actually in print, and we've also seen the character in uh, animation. There was the Judas Contract, Teen Titans, straight to DVD, that was out, I think, I guess within the last year. And it wasn't bad. It was based on the classic Teen Titans comic book, Judas Contract, and we saw that character appear. But, you know, again, as I said before the break, the character was drawn to be clearly an Asian young woman. And when it came down to the, that, that animated snippet, I think that that, that character also appeared, appeared on, I think, the second season of the um, Young Justice series, which is coming back again for a third season, which is cool. According to the great Uncanny Daryl B., he said that even that character is supposed to be Amor Asian. Uh, she appears to be white in the animation, in print, as I said, Asian. Um, I'm sorry, Caucasian in, 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 uh, in, in animation and Asian in print. Uh, I'm always glad to see something that I've read or, or, or have seen to come to fruition on TV. I'm not going to lie. But I would like, because of way, the way things are nowadays, I mean, we need, we need to see a woman of color, especially an Asian woman, to, to helm a series. I don't see why that has to be controversial. So uh, Greg Berlanti, uh, we have to give credit where credit is due. I mean, I have some issues, you know. Um, uh, you know, what is the character I'm thinking of now? Uh, Mr. Terrific annoys me a bit. But beyond that, uh, he seems to be very magnanimous when it comes down to having minority folk in his property. So I don't see why. I, I kind of would be shocked. Maybe this is just me being you know, naive. I would kind of be shocked to see him not have a, a young Asian actress knock it out the park for Tracy 13. It would be, it, it, it would be just – we need that because we've seen 14 years – of supernatural, you know what that looks like. Uh, Cap, your opinion? Then we go, we're going to go to Claire Lene. Well, it might just be business as usual. I don't know. I don't. Uh, I don't know. I totally agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I totally agree with you. I can't put up a rebuttal against this. This is absolutely. Uh, if this is what's taking place now, now they do have, what, you know, what a lot of people know, you know. White Asian, but you know right away they're Asian. They do have that, you know, a lot of <laughs> white skin, but they're Asian. You could see right away that they're Asian, you know. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about from the perspective like what's on the Agents of Shield. You know what I'm talking about, you know. We could go directly like that too. If you wanted to, if you wanted to do that, that does exist. There's nothing wrong with that, but you know. Just put the Asian woman up there. What's the big deal at this point in juncture? This is 2017. How do you know? <laughs> Let's rock with it. I think it would work. You know, she's my species anyway. Homeland Magi. 
That's the captain. <laughs> Wheel of magic. <laughs> so let's do it. Back to you, make, make sure that magi is, is connected to that <laughs> captain. Yo, what 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 uh, um, what, yeah. what, oh, what oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, according to uh, Seinfeld, but I mean, you know, you know. I, anyway, I see what you say. <laughs> All right, uh, just quickly, I guess we're going to <laughs> go to Clay Lene, uh, it, just to give our information. Uh, what Captain is referencing is again, this is going into her mythology. Um, the character Tracy Thirteen. She is of a species. This is when we get into the whole, in the DC universe, all these characters that have uh, magical abilities, innate magical abilities. So her species, the terminology, is called homo magi. And it says, humans born with innate powers of sorcery. It says quickly, and it's going to read this quickly from uh, a wiki, actually. Wiki gives a good synopsis. Tracy is forbidden by her father, Dr. 13, to practice magic since her mother, see, here we go. Malui Lan died due to magical influences. Now, again, uh, it will be interesting to see if they go Amor Asian or Asian. Um, hmm. I don't. I'm. I, I don't play Plantation Olympics within our culture, uh, but I know when they chose someone Amor Asian, it's to make that. Well, Claire's. I'm not gonna let Claire talk about that. She's mentioned it before. Uh, but we know what, what, what that is and why that is. That's more of marketing effery. Anyway, Tracy moved to the suicide slum of Metropolis, determined to live on her own, Iguana Leroy. Uh, what is it, a black iguana? Okay, anyway. There, <laughs> there she began to tap into the urban magic of Metropolis and assumed the name of Girl 13. Now, this could be something completely deconstruct- deconstructive if, it, if it's done the way we would want it to be done. But, you know, Claire, what are your thoughts? Um, well, this is honestly the first I've ever heard of this character. Uh, only reason why I clicked on it when it came up on my, you know, on my feed, my news feed, is simply because I was like, whoa, that looks Asian. This, this comic book, you know, drawing, this comic book character is clearly Asian. What's that all about? What's going on? So I, I I read it and I shared it with you because I was like, okay, well here we go. Are they are they going to be, you know, for real in committing to this whole diversity initiative? You know, you know, having other cultures and other ethnicities fully represented, re- represented and included. Because while I do have a lot of respect for Berlanti and his team in terms of you know, the world that they've built for these DC shows and on, on the CW. I mean, right now, he's got how many, right? Man, a lot. In terms of the interconnected, supposedly, we've got Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, and then potentially Black Lightning. Now, as for Tracy 13, it's it remains to be seen as to whether or not she's going to be part of that universe or if she's going to be kind of a one-off similar to Riverdale. Now, my only thing is that I'm trying to just be numb about certain things, 
you know, because on the one hand, I want to get excited and, and, and be like, okay, cool, finally, an Asian is going to get some love, an Asian is going to get some, <laughs> some shine, like, oh, my goodness, you know, because how can I not have that instinct to be excited, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How can I not? Not to say that there aren't instances which I'm sure your community feels as well at times when you notice that there are certain shows or episodes or characters in which you feel like, oh, come on. You feel you feel insulted. You feel like this is clearly pandering. You feel angry because it's like, okay, well, you know that you and, and so many others like you are, are, are thirsting, craving to see some sort of representation, some sort of reflection of yourself, of your kind, that, that people in the, the networks, in the studios, they know that, and they'll just throw you a bone. They just throw you any old thing that ends up being a caricature, you know, a stereotype one-dimensional, and like I said, a slap in the face. It's almost as if, well, shoot, <laughs> how about you give me nothing? I'd rather take nothing than this insult of a character. You know, like we know that, we know that game, right? We know it very well. And I'm so tired of this. I'm just so tired of this. That's why, you know, when I was talking about about situations in which we've had Ghost in the Shell and Doctor Strange and what have you, and, you know, when they were talking about how they want to do Mulan, and I would say, oh, watch, you know, from Mulan, they're going to cast Jennifer Lawrence. Now, you think (laughs) I'm being funny. You think I'm being facetious. But the sad thing is, is that I have precedent to say that. Mm. I have precedent to mean that. So that's why when I saw this, I was just like, okay, we'll see. We'll see. Because as of right now, I've seen very little Asian representation throughout the Berlanti-verse. I've seen a little bit on Arrow with Kelly Hu and uh, Rila Fukushima, who, if you remember, she was the girl with the pink hair in, you know, the Wolverine. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. She is a badass, that little one. She is a badass, I mean, no doubt. And I'm glad that she was able to get this job. Hell, I barely recognized her. But, you know, aside from that, aside from that, from what I've seen of those two characters, um, Kelly and, and Rila, I have really seen almost no Asian representation, like, seriously, between all the other shows between all the other shows, aside from, you know, the victim of a metahuman or maybe the the little girl that needs to be saved and rescued when Legends goes back in time to feudal Japan and they have to fight with shogun armor and, you know, play dress-up. Aside from that, there's no real serious inclusion or representation, even though I have so much respect for... Greg Berlanti, I do, I do, because you, you got to have some balls, you got to be able to really say, hey, I want Jimmy Olsen to be black, I want Joe and Iris West to be black, I want this and that, you know what I'm saying, so don't get me wrong, I have, 
I have some respect. I'm giving him his props. But at the same time, I know what little I've seen in terms of people that look like me. So I'm keeping my expectations very, very low. And this is early days. For all we know, this will never see the light of day. This is only in development. It might not even make it to the pilot. You know? So I'm just I'm just trying to keep my expectations low. It's not the first time I've seen in comics where, on the one hand, it was clearly drawn to be a certain way, clearly indicated to be of Asian descent, this particular character. And then somehow there's a, a permutation, you know, a transformation over different iterations between panel, you know, comic book panel to screen in which all of a sudden the character just kind of morphed into a white person, magically. So I don't know. Like I told you, I mentioned that Psylocke, I've seen different comic book versions, some that lean a little more Asian-looking and some that lean very, very European-looking. You know? So I, I just, I just, I'm trying to just keep my, you know, keep my expectations low. Yeah, uh, listen, we spoke about this last time with the Cecilia Reyes character, who was an Afro-Latina, clearly a brown-skinned woman of Latin extraction uh, for the X-Men. And when this uh, New Mutants movie comes out, uh, she looks Euro-Latina. So uh, we'll cross our fingers. We'll cross our fingers. I always like to see, for the most part, uh, a faithful translation from comic to to TV or, or film. So uh, we, will, we will see. We will see. Uh, Even if they for- decide to go half. Even if they decide to go halfsies. You know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll give me That's- something. Even if you decide well, that- to go Kristen Kruk from Smallville or Maggie Q from Nikita. If you want to go half, halfway, you want to meet me halfway, I guess I'll have to take that. But well, give me that- something. I know that a black Ronin, um, he, he went into it. He said that she is of, of mixed parentage. So, I mean, they may, it's highly likely they will go that route because that is how it's written. But, again, they, wouldn't even, they would not even prefer that. You know, all this has a lot to do with the comfort level. I mean, it's very perverse. And we've spoken about this ad nauseum. But this goes back to the comfort level of the believed to be predominant white audience. The irony is that there's a lot of uh, data out here that really affirm that this, this, these TV, TV, TV audiences very striated, very diverse. So the assumption that it's still a 1950s audience that you have to do these characters. I mean, we we spoke about this, and it's something that that I, I that's in my head quite a bit. Uh, what happened to Bruce Lee? And this this has been highly debated. Uh, with Bruce Lee, his his connection to the Kung Fu TV series, that I mean, the idea of seeing Bruce Bruce Lee is one of my heroes. So to see someone like someone like that, the thought of him being on TV is is excite it excites me. Uh, but when you hear the story that, well, you know, he's a little too Asian looking, and and this is in quotes that this is in 1970. This discussion went on. Even, and it's, again, it's debatable with his whether he was connected to, to the Kung Fu series or another gentleman. However, however you want to perceive it, I believe. Well, you know they're going to do a movie about that. You know that, right? Yes. Yes. Like they're going to really what... dig in, and and you know they've got 
they talk to Sharon, his daughter, and they're like going through his journals. Like this, this does need to be told. The truth needs to be told and confirmed, not just you know rumors and oh well, it's never been verified as to whether or not they basically stole his idea for the Kung Fu series, you know, which took place with you know. Oh my God, what's his name? David Carradine, in the seventies, and then revived again in the nineties where you have a white dude running around pretending to be Asian. Well, you know, uh, the, the Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, which I believe was in the 90s, uh, Jason Scott Lee was, played the, the, the titular character. Um, the, it, it, it's, that whole thing was actually touched upon in that, that biopic, where he, you clearly see him as Bruce Lee talking to some studio head or someone in the business and saying, you know, hey, this is a this is a this is a western that's an eastern. And even even the way that he described it, I said, I said yeah, damn, even even when I remember the movie, I said that is kind of a hot even description of it. So you can see how that would have worked if you're pitching it. But the problem is the studio didn't want to see a man of color portraying that even though it was his idea they gave it to a very euro david carradine even into the 90s when they rebooted it so now it took 50 years practically where we're hearing it's going to be an asian female portraying this you know going into this thing but look how long it took for it where it was clearly an asian an asian theme and it's (laughs) you're not allowed to tell your own story but i mean that's that's the history of whitewashing it is what it right. is. We, we've been people, talking about this for a long are, time. People are okay with this. People don't think it's at all offensive having these white folks running around dressed up as monks. As well, hey, Shaolin, you know, Shaolin Temple monks. We, we see that. It's not that, offensive uh, at all. I mean, you know, listen, even with that Kung Fu reboot that also is circulating in the Berlantiverse, trying to develop a pilot with a female Asian, supposedly, even then. Even then, I'm hold. I'm. I know. I just. I can't. I can't get excited. I'll believe it when I see it. But until then, I'm sorry. But after everything that's happened, everybody, everybody is guilty. Everybody's guilty until proven innocent. That's how I feel. I'll believe it when I see it. When I'm watching a freaking Asian on television doing her thing, then I will applaud you. But for right now. I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to my, my enthusiasm or my excitement because I just, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Let, let's go to Chi-Town real quick. Our uh, resident cineast, I believe this is Sergio Mims, of course, from the, the mighty Shadow and Act. Uh, Serge, what's up? Yes, hello. How you doing? Pretty good, man. How are you? Uh, just a, a few things very quickly. Um, you know, I saw that trailer for Mutants the other day. And, of course, I wasn't particularly familiar with it. But uh, the first thing I did notice was, of course, where are all the people of color in the in the movie? You know, mm-hmm. I said, I don't know how this is going to do because it's just a bunch of looks to me like white kids. And I said, that doesn't play anymore. And the comic book um, didn't reflect that by, as I said, uh, Cecilia Reyes, the Latina that you may have recognized in the trailer, Cecilia Reyes is supposed to be clearly a black woman of Latin descent, clearly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, they, you know, 
I didn't it know is. to see. I just thought she was doing a white chick, you know. And it's really a, uh, it's the really other a horror, thing. This, it's really a, one quick thing. It's really a horror comic book as well. So uh-huh. it's it, 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 it's it's a lot that goes with that. But we'll we'll see. We will see. Um, the other thing I want to mention. This may be good news, <laughs> in a way, mm-hmm. is that um, there was an interview this week with Tyler Perry, oh. <laughs> in which he said, "Well, wait till you hear this." He said that actually he has been approached by both Marvel and DC Ugh. about a possible project, but he has turned them down because oh, he said that he couldn't he couldn't make a movie like that. And number two, and actually I understand him when he says this, you know, making a movie that inquires an army of people. He basically has been a one man show. And he's not going to be involved in something where he's going to have to delegate a creative ideas and other, other production details to other people. And so he's turned them down. He said he's been offered several things, and he's uh, well, possibility, and he's turned them down. Now, A, you can argue how serious was Marvel and DC. You know, they probably meet with everybody. Um, number two is that you know, you got to give him credit. I can't do, I can't make a movie like this. So I'm not even going to try. So well, you got to give him props for he knows his limitations. Yeah. This is not <laughs> Stick me. Stick to the dress. Stick to the dress. I'm sorry. Say Sir? it again. I said she, he should stick to wearing a dress. Leave it at that. Well, <laughs> it was number one this weekend again. You exactly. Know. I mean, I will tell you something. I did a panel this Thursday for Chicago Film Festival. With uh, I moderated a panel with some filmmakers about the the new trend. Well, I said this new insurgent in black cinema, particularly movies such as Get Out and Moonlight, and we have a Black Panther and um, Hidden Figures. And there's, I know there's Afrofuturist movies being developed and TV shows and stuff that's on Netflix and Mudbound, which is tremendous. I've seen Mudbound already. Oh, I don't And it's anything. like, this that, is a new trend in cinema. Good. And I said, that was good. yes, it is, but don't forget, Tyler Perry still has his audience. Uh, I mean, he will always have an audience um, uh, of, of followers. I mean, the audience that goes sees his films are not particularly the people who will go see a Moonlight. They definitely won't go see a Mudbound. Um, you, you can even argue when he goes see Black Panther, but that's debatable. But he will have his audience. So for good or ill, he's still going to be around. You know, his movies cost nothing to make. And uh, even though his film was number one this weekend, it, it did middling. I mean, he's had films that have done a lot better, and he's had movies that open a lot worse. But, you know, for the budget they're made and what they do, you know, he will still always, will continue to make movies. I, you know, I've come to peace with him. He's never going to be a great filmmaker. He's never going to change, but he is who he is. Uh, one quick thing, Serge. Um, Q-Storm sent me a tweet of a film that I was unaware of. I'm assuming that Shadow and Act probably covered this. The film is called The Price regarding a... Uh, a, a Nigerian-American uh, young man who has, has, like, I guess, 
uh, an epiphany about Wall Street. He's a, he's a, he's a well-heeled Wall Streeter. Do you know anything about this? Called the, it called The Price? Oh, yeah. I, it was, originally it had a different title. I cannot remember the name of the title now. Dara Jew. But Dara Jew? Dara Jew. Right. That's Dara the Jew. movie. They, right. Um, <laughs> I, this is, I've seen it. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not the greatest thing. Um, what's interesting is that the director of the movie is the brother of Julius Ona, who directed uh, this big sci-fi movie that's coming out in February. It's supposed to come out this fall, but it's coming out in February, which is going to be the next Cloverfield movie. Really? Yeah, Julius Ona. Um, the original title was God's Particle. They're probably going to change that and probably to incorporate a Cloverfield into the title. It was supposed to come out in the fall. It's produced by J.J. Abrams. supposed to come out in the fall. It is coming out in February, I believe now, uh, with a David Oyelowo uh, and several other name actors in the movie. Um, nobody's seen it yet. I haven't read anything about it, but everybody's very much looking forward to it. But the brother, he's the brother of the guy who directed The Price. All right. So they're, they're, movers, they're, they're movers and shakers somewhat in the Hollywood yes. game. At least they're, try, they're trying to be. So, I, I mean, that, that's pretty, pretty – I mean, when I heard the premise of The Price, uh, I liked the premise, but you're telling me it might not be all that great. But you Yeah, know, I've looked, seen it. I saw it almost a year ago. Uh, he made it a, a while ago. It did get picked up. It did get picked up. I saw it almost, a, uh, uh, like I said, a year ago, maybe more. Um, I wasn't over, overly impressed with it. Um, that's me. Um, other people may get something out of it. Um, and the storyline is kind of predictable. You know, a guy who makes it up into Wall Street and realizes he's losing his soul and, you know, that sort of thing, uh, his identity. Um you know, it's okay. I'm dying to see what Julius Owner is going to do with this new Cloverfield movie. It sounds interesting, definitely. All right, Serge, yeah. uh, I'll put you on hold for a minute. We're going to go back, go in another direction. Um, you know, I want to mention this, and I don't want to stay on it too long, but it, it kind of stays in line with what we've been talking about. I mean, uh, whether it's myself, or it's Uncanny, or, or, or um, Claire, uh, I think the captain, to a lesser degree, goes into this stuff. I think it's, it's for, for the captain. I don't want to speak for him. He can speak for himself. But I think when it comes down to when we talk about what is the obvious, we're more passionate about it. Uh, captain is the grown-up in the room. So um, it is what it is. But I think I, I still – I am affected at, on occasion. So I didn't really mention this. And, and I something about it, I don't know what, what triggered it. But I didn't really go into this with what happened to me a few weeks ago when I went to uh, New York Comic Con. I went on a Thursday. And I've seen it before, and it didn't really bother me so much. I might have mentioned it, but it really wasn't heavy on my mind. Maybe because of where we are politically, where we are socially. We know who is running this country, and I say that in quotes. So he, he is – the president does set the tone for things. I go to Comic Con. And I see quite a few, quite a few people of color in costumes, you know, cosplayers, and, and I, can't even, I can't even tell between cosplayers and just fans. 
So anyway, I'm looking at these people, and I remember like my first time going to New York Comic Con, and this young Latina, uh, kind of quite attractive. That's another. That's a side. That's a side issue. You know. You know how I am. She comes to me out of the blue, and she says, "Hey, what's up?" And I say, "What's up?" And she says, "I had to walk over to you because I had to see another brown person. I just had to see like again." I'm pretty I'm pretty self-aware. Times when I go to these places, I'm so inundated with stimulus that I, I, I can't, like, function. I, I remember the first time I went to New York Comic Con, I just stood there and, like, just went around in a circle in place, looking around like, this is a lot of stuff. You know, it was the first time I saw this. So I didn't think about race right away. She came to me and said, hey, did you check out Attack the Block? You know, she went into this whole political situation, and I, and I, and I had to kind of – she kind of shrugged me, you know, virtually shrugged me, shook me, and said, you know, wake up. You know, I said, oh, okay. And she said, da-da-da-da-da, you need to do this. She put a uh, attack the block poster in my hand. You know, I saw you, uh, a brown person. I had to connect. I, I just had to get it. And she, so it's, it's, that's, when it, it realized, that's when I realized, wow, you know, we need to be more, more centered on, like, bl- uh, black, brown, yellow, red. We need to be more centered about our space in this culture. And I, I have to commend this woman who kind of stopped looking at the bells and whistles. So ever since that moment, I've been a little bit more, I think, I think the Afro nerd thing actually came out of that. There's a couple of things that led to my creation of, with Afro nerd. That was one of them. So um, when I went this time around, I saw a lot of, Black Superman, uh, uh, black, brown, Asian, uh, Wonder Women, not notwithstanding our own Wonder Woman, <laughs> but when you see when you see that as as cosplay, and and the overabundance of it, like we're we're really invested in other people's imprints. And I think we need to be falling back. We need to pedal down a little. We need to pump the brakes. We need to pump the brakes a little on that because we're so excited about these other things. Now, when I go to these ta- when I went to the tables of minority imprint things, I was very conscious to go to folks of color and their tables because they had their own worlds to display. We can't constantly negate or put in a second or third tier our own properties of color because we're, because we're so excited to see a black woman in a Wonder Woman con- costume. I mean, if anything, there is a black Wonder Woman in Nubia. Nubia is Diana Prince's sister. I mean, there's things you could do that are, that are a little bit meta. And I'm not talking about meta like meta human. I'm talking about a little bit meta where you could actually start doing. You could. I used to see more, um, more war machines. Black black guys as the iron as the Iron Man, black Iron Man, which is war machine. Hell, you got a Riri Williams now, and you have these. Those are the the commercial, the more commercial uh, properties of color. But you have actual separate imprints going on. I would have liked to see more Black Panthers. Walking around And hell For S and Giggles You could see A white person In some of this stuff 
You know, but our constant overindulgence and over invest, investing in the default take me off a little. And it, it, I think there's a problem with that. We, we, if you have a Black Panther film and we see all these people saying Panther's so lit, you've got to be about that life. And our, our investment in stuff and other people's stuff, it's fine. Hell, I'm a, I'm a Flash fan. I'm a Flash fan. I'm a Batman fan. But we have, to, we have to start to invest in ourselves if we want this culture to really pop off. That's, so, that's just something that just, just irked me. I don't know if I was wrong for that, but I just saw too much of it. I saw too much joy in other people's S. Uh, Claire, am I off base for that? Am I wrong? I, I don't know. I don't know if you're – I don't know if I would say that you're off base, but I can see that if you were, especially in, in you know, a convention hall inundated with that imagery, then, okay, I can see how that would become irksome seeing people of color so excited to dress up as traditionally white heroes. Um, I get it. I get it. I, I'll be honest, I don't really have too much exposure to that in terms of cosplay. So I, I don't have any sort of real emotional stakes in the game. But I hear what you're saying in terms of that being part of us Spending our time, our money, our devotion on white product instead of investing, as you said, in ourselves, promoting ourselves, promoting who ca- characters that look like us. So I, I understand what you're saying. I do. I do. I don't really have any, you know, real dissertation on it just because like I said it's I just don't really spend a lot of time at conventions and I I don't really, you know, as cool as it as it is when I see that like oh well that's cute or oh look at that or whatever, you know. I mean I don't know if I sent you the picture, but I remember on Twitter like less than 24 hours after the first, you know, Black Panther teaser trailer whatever you know, people were posting pictures of their kids, you know, in Black Panther and Dormelage costumes, you know. And I'm thinking, yes, that's right. <laughs> that is right. You know, get them when they're young. <laughs> Let yeah. them know. Let them know, uh, you know, now that, there is such a thing as a black hero, you know. There is such a thing as, as, you know, people of color being powerful, badasses, saving the day, saving the world, and let them know that they can they can emulate them and, and look up to them and, and be inspired by them and dress dress up as them for Halloween and yeah, let them know. Let these kids know. So when I saw that of course I got excited and I was like, This is this is great. This is great, but I, you know, I don't see a whole lot of that. You know, I definitely would like to see more, 
because people tend to go to what we know. And what do we know? We know Batman. We know Superman. We know Wonder Woman. You know? So, if, I mean, it's just, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. But I hear you. I hear you. I mean, that that would definitely kind of bug me a bit if I was surrounded by that. Yeah, you, you need to you need to go to one of these things. I mean, it, listen, it, it is a spectacle. It is fun. And and actually, you know, some things that some things that stood out for me, like I saw a Asian cat dressed as Submariner. Now, now he was built, and he had the Submariner costume on. I said, okay, wait a minute. Now we <laughs> thinking outside the box, and maybe not so not so outside the box. There's talk about a, a Submariner movie. They might want to get an Asian actor an actor to portray that character. I think that this uh, Aquaman character, which is basically DC's version of Submariner, you have a Pacific Islander and uh, Jason Momoa. I think that character uh, logically looks like, looks like someone who comes out of the sea, that's a swimmer, there's a cultural connection, um, he's Hawaiian, Pacific Islander. There's, there's something, there's something that, that resonates as truthful to the character. So I saw this, this gentleman as Submariner, I said, okay, he may be thinking meta. I, cause I'm like, okay, that is he looked like Submariner. <laughs> you know? So I was like, I was, I was like, okay, that 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 made me think. Um, we have to start thinking ahead. When I see, uh, and again, some of these these legacy characters, there is a minority version of them. There is an Asian Wonder Woman. Um, one of my favorite characters, Grace Choi, I believe her the character's name was, and I didn't realize who she was. It was a, it was one of those. Um, the, these the, one of those moments as I was, as I was reading the comic, I think it was in Teen uh, in Titans, not Teen Titans, Titans twos. She was, uh, I mean, she was. I don't want to go into all of her history, but she was kind of like very flamboyant and out there and and just direct. And she was built. And I'm talking about like a very powerful woman. Uh, and you didn't really know her. She was very quiet about where she came from. And who she was, it was a secret. But you knew she had this super strength, like she was just a strong, like super strong. And you always were trying to figure out, like they never gave her origin. And then it was a shock that, oh, she's an Amazon. And like what? And you found out she belonged to this tribe of Amazons that 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 went somewhere else. Like they didn't believe in the in the typical Amazon thing. So there you got a side mythology that deconstructed the the the, the what we perceive to be the norm. She was an they, they, the, the character was just damn interesting. Uh, you have a black Superman, Val Zod. You could have you could have I could I would have liked to seen brothers dressed as Val Zod versus Kal El. But okay, that's me being that's me thinking outside the box. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe I should stop doing that. Um, Cap, you have a dog in this race. You're the, the you're the adult, I think. Sometimes when it comes to all of us. Well, you're you're onto something, an obvious something. The white characters have the most worship, so those are the people that are that most people are going to emulate. So you have to change that energy of worship and representation. You know, that's just changing the worship energy. The more you worship these people, the higher they go up on the plane. You know, that's what essentially makes a pop star. You take the energy away, all the worship, 
all of a sudden they're not selling as much. And putting someone up on a plaque gives them a certain amount of worship from the people because they're paying attention. So, again, a movie like Black Panther, what is it doing? The imagery. There's a lot of people looking at the imagery now. So, hence, it can bolster and push it up. So, the more that you have, simply put, you know, the more you see yourself, you see this imagery going on, then you'll have more and more people emulating it because you have more energy going into it. So, it's real simple. So, you're definitely on to something. And you know, something else, you know, it, it, was, it was really cool to see cross-racially the excitement about Black Panther. And, and, and again, the irony is, is that if you were to see this representation, I think there's even um, a Star Wars, I think there's a Star Wars uh, meme going around, or a Star Wars hashtag going around about the need to start to see more uh, di- ethnically diverse characterization in Star Wars. I mean, we got a lot of it in Rogue One, and I think Rogue One was probably one of the mo- more successful Star Wars franchises, ironically, from a cast that was predominantly eth- predominantly of color and ethnically, ethnically diverse. I mean, that's the first time I really got into a Star Wars film, I mean, really got into it, because it felt more, more of a science fiction, I mean, there is the distinction between Star Wars and Star Trek and the space opera versus the, the science fiction thing, but this was, I was excited to see all those people in there. I was able to get get into it more. So there's even a thing, I think, with Star Wars. Uh, Claire, did you happen to see this thing? There's like, there's like a hashtag, and I saw that there was – this is the flip side of what, what you and I are talking about, is that when you talk about, when you talk about hey, we, we would like to see ourselves, there's the other contingent that hates you. And I saw some folks saying some very nasty things about this hashtag and some of the people that were very excited or, or, or very passionate, passionate in their request, even in Star Wars, to see a more ethnically diverse Star Wars. You had people were hating on that. Did you see right. that? I mean, I don't have to see it to know that it's true. I don't have to read, you know, all the haters freaking out about Sonequa Martin-Green and, you know, whatever in Star Trek Discovery. Like, I don't need to, to read it to know. Like, I already anticipate I already anticipate the pushback. The second you put any woman or person of color or woman of color, you know, in a leading role, then you're going to get pushback. You're going to get hate. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. And the thing is, is that it is, in my opinion, it, women have it harder when it comes to that pushback than with men. Not to say that they don't get it. Oh, they do. They do. You know, they do, John Boyega, of course, he's going to deal oh, with that crap. You know, Michael B. Jordan for Fan 4 Stick, he got that crap, even though the movie was crap. But still, they didn't know that. <laughs> they didn't know it was going to be BS, you know, beforehand. But the thing is, is that, man, like sometimes you read some of the stuff that like a, a 19-year-old would get, a 20-year-old, you know, Zendaya. When people yeah, were freaking out care. about her being MJ, I mean, they were just being nasty to her. Do you think a 19-year-old girl deserves to be talked to that way just because she took a role? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but she's not MJ. She's not really Bob. Whatever. Whatever. You know, it's just, I, I already know that this stuff is going to come up. It's just, it's just par for the course. You know you're going to get hate. You know you're going to get heat. You know it's going to come. 
as soon as they announce who's cast is what and ugh. You know, but the thing is in terms of what you were saying when you talked about sub submariner and that whole Namor. I mean, the thing is is that you're more accepting of someone like Jason Momoa to be Aquaman because Jason Momoa he he's built up this this, you know, persona C V, this resume in terms of science fiction, in terms of Game of Thrones, and in terms of his masculinity. You know, like Momoa is a badass. Now, what bothers me is that from what I've seen in the, the Justice League promo materials, what bothers me is that he's kind of coming off like a dude, you know, like a dude bro, the way he talks. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, it's like, it's that to me is, I find, a little irksome. Because then it makes makes him seem not very cerebral, not very intelligent. You know? And it's like, come on, you, it's like a negotiation, no matter what. We always end up having to sacrifice something, you know, in order to get the representation that we need, in order to get that strength and that, you know, that visceral masculinity, he's got to be stupid. Or on the flip side, and you've identified this on multiple occasions where someone, yeah, he's going to be smart, he's going to be, you know, uh, sensitive, but he's going to be neutered. He's going to be a pansy. They do that. Weak. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's always a negotiation. It's always a flip on terms of what we have to give up in order to get some sort of inclusion in in the bigger picture. So when I saw some of the Justice League trailers, and I know it's not enough. It's not enough for me to really discern based off of just, you know, a minute, two minutes. But I'm kind of not liking the way his character is being portrayed. Don't get me wrong. He looks great. He looks great. And he absolutely is what we need for that character. He looks exotic. He absolutely is befitting of the role of someone that is practically a demigod of the ocean. Yes, I look at him, I believe that. He looks strong, he looks powerful, he looks like he can go toe-to-toe with Ben Affleck. Okay, all right, good for you. You actually accomplished something that many people didn't think was possible. You made Aquaman sexy. You made Aquaman interesting, strong, you know, a badass. Good for you, Warner Brothers. You did something that people thought was impossible. But I just, you know, it's just like what you were talking about, little things that we tend to kind of nitpick over when you were looking over at the, you know, the material for, for Black Panther, and even in, in previous conversations that we've had, either you or somebody else would kind of nitpick things about Luke Cage, kind of things that kind of like just bother you. It's like, man, why do they got to go there? Why do they have to do that? Why do we have to fall back on that trope, you know? Or why is it that we, have, we can't have him be smart or strong and at the same damn time? Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But the thing well, about making Namor and all these other characters that should be of color, you got to make them cool. You got to make them sexy. You got to make them powerful. You got to make them appealing to everybody. Yeah, I think what you're saying is that there's going to be always something missing. You know, yeah. they're never going to actually be, I, I don't know. I, I think for the, for the over, over usage of a term, it's par for the course. And this is Hollywood. It's, it's, it's to sell a product. Every once in a while, you'll be thrown a gem where you say, okay, this is a solid effort. 
It's just every I just would like to see a gym thrown at thrown at us every once in a while. But uh, I'm going to be patient about a lot of this stuff. We'll see. I, I haven't really um, seen Jason Momoa uh, interviewed so much. I know that there was something. I'll, I'll check it out with the rebroadcast. Um, I believe that on Sirius, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Karen Hunter on Sirius had mentioned that he was supposed to stop by her studio. So I, I was I was curious as to what he brings to the table because sometimes these people will shock you. Like there's there is a something I think is a little bit a little bit uh, viral with David Batista where he sh- he's showing him. And first of all, I like to see people, you know, who are coming up and kind of becoming successful. So you see that Dave Batista show, show you his nerd room. And which, which made me feel very excited because he, I, I even tweeted back to him. say, Oh, you're just one of us because Dave Batista, you know, he's, he's an MMA guy. So you th- and I'm seeing that his acting prowess, his acting chops are, have, they're becoming quite formidable. We didn't really see it in uh, Blade Runner 2049. There's a, sh- a short film where we saw more of his character. Where I was like, wow, this guy can really act. Um, but he showed he he did an Instagram video where he showed like this this cool room he has that's devoted to tchotchkes. You know, it shows um, posters and and statues. The, the kind of things that Daryl, myself, many of us collect, he's collecting it. And I said, okay, that's cool because many of these actors, some of them, you know, listen, William Shatner could care less about the Star Trek thing, I think. I think he's come to, come at, come to peace with it. But some of these po- folks, you would like for them to be as excited as the fan base. But this is the rare occasion that you see Batista is a fan. He likes this stuff. I could see him see that he would actually be happy at Comic-Con as opposed to some of these folks that just look at the look at it as, okay, we're actors. This is a gig. I don't give two craps about, like, comic books and uh, statues and action figures and posters and stuff. He's actually a pop culture aficionado. I didn't know that about him. Which is really exciting to be able to connect to somebody on that level where both you and the person you admire are fans. You're nerds, you're geeks, you have that connection. That's all well and good. But what's even more exciting to me is just the fact that, you know, when people can transcend, and, you know, we know maybe some people just don't look at him that way, but, you know, Batista, he does have some um, Filipino, you know, ancestry. Uh, heritage, mm-hmm. ancestry. And obviously, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you know, he's got black and Samoan and he's got but the thing is is that what's exciting and what's interesting and I don't know if it's you know a route that many people would be able to pull off but these guys similar to what I was kind of describing about how Momoa is just so perfect for for Aquaman is that these guys they transcend the color barrier and what I mean by that is that because of their you know their previous career, their stint as, you know, wrestlers and WWE or WWF, whatever it is, and now parlaying that into into the Hollywood game, they have fans, like a very strong fan base that doesn't see any bounds in terms of color. 
lots of white guys really admire these two. Lots of, you know, lots of different kinds of people, not just people of color. And that's the point. We need more of that because that's the only way that we're going to really start to see more of that intentional, okay, intentional, I hate this word, I'm so sick of this word, but diversity, inclusion, because now it's like you have no excuse. You cannot say, oh, but hiring someone of color won't make us any money. Oh, but look at how well The Rock is doing. Tell me again that his movies don't make money. You know, and now we're trying to set precedent. Oh yeah, Wonder Woman, over eight hundred million. That's a lot. You know, tell me again that women can't make money. So that's the whole thing. You got to make it powerful. You got to make it sexy. You got to make it. You got to make it hot. You got to make it hot to where everybody across the board, fan, non-fan, men, woman, black, white, purple, green, whatever. But everybody has to be on board. And you know something I else. I don't think anything's going to really change. And you know something else. It's also, I mean, this is a this is a difficult thing to say, but on some level, on some level, compromising. Like we know that it's compromise, but on some level, everything can't be compromised. Like the fact that this Black Panther film visually is very black, as a positive, and that this that. I have to give kudos to Marvel, you know, a lot of credit that you know, when you look at that poster, and there's even a running joke about uh, Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis being the quote-unquote Tolkien white guys. Of course, J.R.R. Tolkien from the Hobbit. Those actors played in, in, in Hobbit, Hobbit franchises. So the meta running joke is, oh, they're the, as opposed to Tolkien, they're the Tolkien white guys. I thought that was pretty funny. It's definitely nerd sensibilities. Um, but over and above, that's a very black poster that harkens back to black exploitation. And the funny thing is that you know the history of Hollywood has it where where people of color have been used to uh, fund them out of out of the red. Hollywood during the late '60s, early '70s was not was not really profitable. But what happened is that they had this whole stream of black exploitation cinema. And you can read this. That was instrumental in bringing back Hollywood. And then they just, you know, they just uh, threw them away. We see networks. The Fox network, people, people forget where Fox comes from. Fox came from having a fair share of black properties, black TV shows, to get them up and running, to get them popular. And then the moment that they didn't need them anymore, they got rid of the black folks and ushered in the white people. So... They know on some level that um, minority, ethnically diverse characters can make money because they've used them for their own purposes. But when they're done with you, they will throw you to the side and bring in somebody, bring in who they really want to bring in. But I don't know if that's going to work anymore because the, the, the public is, a, is truly a diverse public. Some of these people are still operating like it's 1950. It is not 1950. Anyway, let's go to a quick Herbalt Groove, folks. This is the Grindhouse. We've got less than an hour remaining. There's still a lot more to get into. We have, of course, our uh, cavalcade of co-discussants, myself, D-Bert, a.k.a. the Afro-Nerd, left coast, left coast correspondent, Claire Lenane, of course, Captain Kirk, 
The uncanny, where is he? The uncanny Daryl B. Because of a new position, he is on our Wednesday broadcast. I'm, I'm sure he will be back in fine order in a couple of months. So bear with us. It's still fun, folks. It's still fun. I'm, I'm seeing people tweeting, where's Daryl? Where's Daryl? Yes, you know, Daryl, he's, he, he, well, you know, <laughs> you know how Daryl is. Uh, he'll be on Wednesday, so. <laughs> anyway, quick, quick break when we get back. I want to talk about this Pacific Rim for a hot second. Um, this has been mentioned before, but now there's a little bit more evidence that the director put out there that he could conceivably see Godzilla and King Kong. We, we, we kind of want to see this anyway, but I, I'm not so sure about this, the sequel to begin with. I think, it, I think it's wishful thinking. Based on how, if this thing makes money, we will probably see what we want to see. I don't know how it's going to do. I don't know. <laughs> All right, folks, we'll be right back. Snow Allegra featuring logic sometimes sometimes we'll be right back let's groove Well, 
All right, we're back. Give me the best of Urban Alternative Group, Black Rock and Roll, Psychedelic Soul, Afro Punk. That was Snow Allegra, sometimes featuring Logic. Uh, Logic also has kind of embraced his. He's kind of come out, <laughs> and I mean that in a different in a different way. Uh, he said, "Hey, you know what? I don't want to pretend anymore. I'm kind of a I'm, I'm a nerd, you know." Um, he, we saw him, uh, the D- Daryl, the Uncanny, and myself. We were at uh, New York Comic Con 2016, and he was on a panel. And he had a concept album. Uh, the name evades me, but um, a concept album that really embraced embraced uh, science fiction and science. And uh, I believe he had Neil deGrasse, Doctor Neil deGrasse Tyson, in tow on that album. And you see him kind of rapping, and uh, he has an ability to, to 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 figure out the Rubik's Cube. That's kind of his shtick in record time. So I think someone would probably tell him, you need to be more grimy or do the hip-hop thing. But he's in, he has incorporated his love for comic books and science fiction and animation into his work. So essentially, you know, he is a, a, a blurred. I know he's of mixed parentage, but... He reps that as well. I mean, hell, he has a, a, a record that's called Black Spider-Man, millions of views on YouTube, and yet we can't seem to figure out how to get this young man on rotation. We have Spider-Man that made $800 million, I think almost $900 million um, past summer. You would figure we would actually be able to have a, a, a song called Black Spider-Man on rotation, but I know local radio – they're going to stick to, you know, Migos and, and, and the crew. So it, it kind of just boggles my mind. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. All right, folks, you know I'm going to go into my soapbox. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. I, was, I happened to check out one of those websites. Maybe it was um, IGN, IO9. I don't remember. But they were – they were disclosing that the Pacific Rim director, Stephen DeKnight, Stephen DeKnight, that he had said that, you know what? I could conceivably see the, the Jaegers, those are the, the, these immense meccas that we see John Boyager piloting. He could see them battling the monsters of the uh, legendary pictures monsterverse, you know, the Godzilla and Kong, King Kongs. I mean, when I saw the first Pacific Rim, that's the first thing that came to my mind. So why not? What, what are your, th- what are your, th- your thoughts about, let's go to the captain. What are your thoughts about like the directors kind of hinting at that? Like he said, well, yeah, I, I'm down for that, but we spoke about Pacific Rim, at least the, the trailer. Maybe it's unfair. You know, to pick apart these trailers, but I wasn't as comfortable with the trailer as I was with the film that I actually liked the first time around. So, what are your impressions about him kind of saying, "Hey, I'm up for having an interconnected universe with with Pacific Rim"? Dan, this is the illusion of the weak to protect you from the strong to no avail. When you have power, you do what you want. There's nothing fair in life. Remember that, except for the 24 hours that you have in a day. That's it. After that, there is no fairness. And if you think there is, you're an idiot. So we pick apart the trailers too bad. That's part of it. <laughs> That's just what it is, how life works. 
Now, based on that last trailer, I didn't like it. That last Pacific thing, Pacific, a little so I said thing. Not even Pacific Rim anymore. I didn't like that. I didn't like it at all. And yes, I do agree with you. When we first saw the first Pacific Rim, that's something that we did think about. We said this would be nice if Godzilla was up here, figure it out, put it together. But that was Guillermo del Toro, you know. This going on now, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm just more or less, let's wait and see. They have to restore confidence in me with this film. And I'm not even going to go see it when it first come out. I'm going to let people go ahead and go see it and then report back to it. That's where I am with this. Kind of like it. So we just have to wait and see. But I do like the ideology. If we had a Guillermo del Toro doing it or someone who has that type of creative ability. That's all I'm saying. Back to you, Afrona. Just for clarification, I see that the great Daryl B., He's um, retweeting, and thankfully so, retweeting. I'm, I'm assuming he's listening in as well. Uh, as a reminder, you know, when I made reference to this, this uh, representation thing with Star Wars, the hashtag is SWRepMatters. W, hashtag SW for Star Wars. SWRepMatters. So, and I'm seeing, if you go to the, to the timeline on Twitter, you see young children of color holding up Star Wars paraphernalia. Um, you know, hey, SW rep does matter. Um, enough said. Enough said. Claire, you know, we spoke about this last week or so. You know, we didn't really like the Pacific Rim um, trailer, at least for what it is. I like John Boyega, but he doesn't really exude kind of like a powerful figure. Um, I think he's a hell of an actor, though. I've seen him in other other things. So maybe he might, he might uh, surprise me. But it looked a little too much like Power Rangers, but which I never even thought of before, which is it was just amazing. When I saw the first Pacific Rim, it was Guillermo del Toro helming it. Power Rangers wasn't in my mind. This time around, it was in my head, disturbingly so. What are your thoughts about you know the knight throwing throwing some chum toward the uh, geek audience? Um. Well, I mean, I, from what I know of Denight, Stephen S. Denight, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with him. He's actually really cool. Like he, you know, he's responded to a few of my, my tweets in regards to uh, the work he did on Daredevil mm-hmm. season one. So he's a cool guy. He's a cool guy. Um, no BS, but it just. That, I think that's why I was surprised when I saw the trailer for Pacific Rim 2 um, because it's so bright. It's so geared towards a younger crowd. It's definitely taking a very different, a sharply different direction compared to the first film. Not to say the first film was perfect but i certainly enjoyed it i had fun with it and it was fascinating to see all the behind the scenes stuff knowing how how much of a hand guillermo del toro has in all of the design aspects of it and for those of you who don't know guillermo his background is visual effects 
So it's not like he doesn't have an eye for it artistically. He's very specific. So I I don't know. I mean, listen, everybody is trying to jump into the shared universe game. They're trying to make that Marvel money. They're trying to get those billions of dollars. I understand. I understand. But you you got to have a game plan here. You got to know what you're doing because look what happened to to Universal Studios. They practically were one and done. I mean, after what happened with the mummy, it's just another situation where the only reason why it was able to break even or do even remotely okay is because of the overseas box office. Internationally, Tom Cruise, excuse me, Tom Cruise is still a draw. But the movie in and of itself, especially, you know, scathing reviews aside, it's just not not enough of a, even of a standalone, let alone something that was going to launch a whole freaking dark universe. And so now what happens? Now what happens? We hear already that the next movie that was supposedly on the pipeline, Bride of Frankenstein, they're trying to give us the whole rigmarole, oh, well, we're going to delay that. You know, we're just going to give it more time to really percolate and, you know, give it the space that it needs to to, to have the story and the, the writing and all that come together and whatever. Honestly, they pulled that off the schedule. Let's just be real. They saw what happened with the mummy, and they're like, wow, we bit off more than we can chew. And they pulled Bride of Frankenstein off the damn schedule. So I... I don't know. I don't know about this whole trying to put everybody in the same, you know, bowl here with the monsters, you know, with Godzilla and with King Kong and, you know, with the Jaegers and the Kaiju or whatever the monsters are in in Pacific Rim. I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I'm I'm kind of just I'm I'm getting a bit fatigued. I'm kind of over it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I'm kind of done with all the spectacle. And I had this conversation a few times in the last couple days in terms of spectacle. It's just I don't care. I'm numb. I'm desensitized. It doesn't matter to me. I saw Blade Runner 2049, and honestly, honestly, I was thoroughly underwhelmed. For all well, of its visual and auditory, you know, impressiveness, you know, don't get me wrong, I can appreciate feats of engineering, you know, when it's in front of me, no doubt. And it is, it is through and through a proper sequel, for sure, in terms of, you know, keeping true to the, the, the visuals and the pace. Oh my god The slow as hell Pacing Yeah this is definitely a sequel To the original But but For 2 hours and 43 minutes I really didn't get a damn thing out of it Okay I didn't get a damn thing out of it In terms of characters, plot And it doesn't add anything to the original 
two hours and 43 minutes. You took up three hours of my life, and you didn't tell me a damn story. I mean, give me a break. I don't care how cool the, the visuals and the sound design and all that. I don't care. I don't care. Give me a story. Give me characters that I, I want to follow on a journey with. I mean, honestly, that's where I'm getting tired of all this. It's just they think bigger is better, bigger is better. No. No. That's not always the case. So with this, I just don't really give a damn. They merge universes if we get King Kong and, you know, Godzilla and whoever the hell. I don't care. Don't care. Well, I, I got to say I gotta say this. Um I was I will confess I was a bit excited about it, but at the same time, it w- I was tempered with my excitement because uh, I, these trailers count. You know, sometimes a trailer can fool you. Some, I've seen movies that where the trailer sucked, and the movie was was so much better than the trailer. So the the trailer is an art unto itself when you're really trying to promote a film. It's it's important to to, to not really say too much. Um, and, and that's what's really important, I, you know. Now, when you go into um, the Knights Bonafides, then I'm starting to say, okay, well, maybe there may be something to this. I don't know what he will bring to the Pacific Rim series, but uh, I was I didn't know about his showrunner status on Daredevil. I mean, Daredevil season one was excellent. So, and then when you and I'm looking at at some of the products that he properties that he was connected to I, okay wait a minute he was in Sparta he did a Spartacus Spartacus star Spartacus was pretty well received so I may have to kind of lay low on this I gotta figure it out I just I just felt that the trailer didn't do do the movie any real service so I think I'm just going to kind of lay low on this based on a game looking at his credentials he's kind of well versed in this world I just thought that the the believe it or not the brightness gave it a little bit of this kind of fake appeal. So, you know, we will see um you're right, everyone's trying to marvelize everything. You know, they're trying to marvelize everything. But Marvel has a formula. <laughs> I mean, you just can't you just can't say, "Oh, we're going to do what they're doing." It's a little bit more complicated than that. Um now I want a good film. People want to be entertained. So we will see. We will see. Something that's kind of – I want to move things along a little bit. I want to talk about um, just quickly this Avengers Tower thing. Uh, and then I, actually I want to talk about something that um, I didn't list as a topic, but it's just I find some things going on on the CW, and I think the captain would find this interesting. The t- tonally, some of the properties – we talked about this a little bit last week. But we're seeing, you know, episode two, episode three, and I'm kind of digging what I see coming out of CW. I'm shocked. Anyway, um, this, it's going all around now that Jeff, Jeff Loeb had said some offhanded remark, comment about – like people, people are asking, when you, when you see um, these Marvel imprints on Netflix – they're just curious as to, well, why don't you see Avengers Tower in the background somewhere? And he gave, I thought, a lame explanation as to what is probably the reason why you, didn't, you don't see. Because if, if you're in Manhattan, like all these characters, 
they're downtown, they're midtown, and they're uptown. At some point, you would expect to see Avengers Tower in the background. That would be a, a quick thing to do, and I don't know how much, how much is how much of that is really in the budget to have a still shot. I don't believe that. I don't, how much money can that be? Anyway, this is from IGN.com, and this is Jeff Loeb, um, and I think Jim Chori. Uh, what is what's his? Um, I don't know what, what is what is his position. I don't know who he is. I don't know everyone. Anyway, it says here quickly, um, the Avengers Tower is a massive landmark in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it has not been seen in any of Marvel's Netflix shows, which all take place in New York City. According to Jeff Loeb, a co-executive producer of Marvel TV, Marvel has a reason for that. He says, I think it's much more than we look at it from the point of view of where are we. And having to establish that, that along the way, Loeb said, when asked if the lack of an Avengers Tower had to do with budgetary constraints. In many ways, being less specific helps the audience understand that this could be on any street corner. Where we're sitting right now, I can see the Empire State Building. But if we were sitting 30 blocks that way, I wouldn't be able to see the Empire State Building. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that we can't see it from where we are. Okay, that sounds lame as F. Why can't these people just give a straight answer? Uh, Captain, does that doesn't sound like that sounds like some technology to me? He says, uh, "Well, we're we're in the moment, basically. You know, we're in we're in Hell's Kitchen. We're on we're we're on we're filming a certain situation for this moment in time, and we don't need to necessarily see Avengers Tower in the background." Well, translation, you know, they make reference to Avengers from time to time, but translation, indirectly, though, translation is they don't catch everything. It's translation. So that's all, all what it is. And sometimes, from their standpoint, it's not necessary for them to catch everything. The geeks catch everything because the geeks watch it once, watch it again, watch it a third time, watch it a fourth. Slow it down. You see right there, they could have, that's what the geeks and nerds do. You know, that's what they do. So I think that's what it is. You know, they don't catch everything, and they don't feel it's necessary to put in everything at all times. You know. I I I hear you. I mean, I just think that sometimes the, these answers to some stuff is so so damn lame. Of course, I mean, how it's much supposed ex- to be damage control. It's a damage control yeah. answer, of course. He goes because people are really are asking and have been asking for a long time. And listen, they set that up. This is they, they are a victim of their own success. They set this up when they were promoting Netflix and, and all these properties that, that you're going to see hardline evidence that there's an interconnectedness between what happens in TV. I mean, hell, uh, I love the series. I wish it, I wish it had continued. But the, the Peggy Carter series, the Agent Carter series, I mean, hell, you clearly saw uh, you saw Howard Stark in real time, you saw it. You saw him, and you didn't really need for that that to be uh, in your face interconnectedness because the characters were were from the from the, the, the cinema. Peggy Carter was in Captain Captain America, and so was Howard Stark. So to see them weekly 
Well, that, that there you go. There you go. Didn't need anything else. But these other characters that have like a, a quick shot of Avengers Tower, when you saw Danny Rand going into his building, that was clearly like Midtown Manhattan. Clearly. So, I you know whatever. <laughs> uh, Claire, thoughts? I'm gonna I'm gonna offer up a more colorful theory. Now, I could be way off base. I'm just musing for my own my own entertainment. But I kind of think that when it comes to the TV and the film arms, you know, the film and TV departments of Marvel, I've been looking at, you know, how the company has developed over the last nine years, things that they've said, things that they've kind of had to go back on their word, kind of backpedal, just in terms of seeing how they've navigated, and, and, and as you said, they do have a plan, they do have a formula, they do have a strategy, but it's just become clear, and I've accepted it, I've accepted it, that there really is not going to be any foreseeable crossover between those departments. The film will be the films, and the TV will be the TV, and even amongst TV, even amongst TV, which totally I get, don't get me wrong, I get TV, the schedule, the production schedule for television is so different compared to film. So I get it. I'm not mad. I understand the logistics, and it is a nightmare trying to get everybody in alignment, especially when you have such a large cast, you know, with the, with these films that get bigger and bigger, trying to incorporate more with the TV folks is going to be a logistical nightmare. So I'm not mad. I understand, you know. But here's the thing. I think with with the Marvel, Netflix, even with, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and, and, and those folks, I've just come to the point where I already know it's not meant to be as connected as they want us to believe or originally had had, you know, indicated. And that's the irony. The irony is that Marvel from day 1 wanted us to believe that their platform is it's all connected. All connected. Everything is part of the shared universe. Whereas DC originally was like, nah, everything's separate. Everything is its own thing. Everything, whatever, right? But then as things, you know, progress, you see them both flip-flop. And Marvel is actually kind of keeping things compartmentalized. They don't really want to beat you over the head with Avengers references on the TV shows. They want the TV shows to be their own thing, especially, especially now that they've built up, they built up the Marvel Netflix universe. You've got multiple characters, multiple properties on that end that they don't really want to talk about, you know, the green guy, you know, the, the, the flag waver, you know, the, the, the guy with the hammer, that's as far as you'll go. That's as much as you get in terms of a wink, 
a nod, a reference. They don't really want to go too deep with all that. And you know what? That's I'm okay with it. It's whatever. I understand. Jeff Loeb, he heads up the TV side. Kevin Feige heads up the film side. And they just, I, I respect it. They, they just want to keep doing their own thing. Okay, fine. You know, DC, they wanted to keep things separate. And then they went into a panic. They freaked out. And what do we get? Batman versus Superman. All this time, they were trying to run their mouths about how we got to keep things separate. We don't want to do what Marvel does. No, we don't want to do all that. We're going to do our own thing. But then they, they, they blinked. They freaked out. And they wanted to do exactly what Marvel is doing, but they wanted it to do it right away. They wanted to rush right into it. And so then we got Batman versus Superman. Even though they talked about it in 2013, you know, they just wanted to try to talk about it. Talk, talk, talk. Rush into it. But the movie didn't come out until 2016. That's what happens when you don't have a plan. We don't know what you're doing. So now that things are kind of wonky again, here we have more reports of them saying, yeah, maybe we should try to do more individual stories. Maybe we should have, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio playing Joker, but still have Jared Leto playing Joker in this other part, you know, of the the connected universe, you know, not going to be good. I mean, now they're trying to do throw spaghetti and just see what sticks. They're just trying to just throw anything up against the wall and just see if it works, you know? Let's try Batgirl. Let's try this. Gotham City Sirens. Let's try, you know, this property and that property. And Sony, they're doing the same thing with Venom. Like, everybody's just trying to see what they can get out of this. You know, honestly, I think it's okay. It's okay for 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 Marvel to have established worlds loosely connected, but not not so much so where they have to reference things all the time. It's not necessary. In fact, it can be a bit distracting. It can well, be a bit what? distracting. Your explanation. Sounds like an adult explanation versus. Thank you. you know, I mean, that's all he had to say. That's all he had to say, as opposed to coming up with this whole thing like this. Well, you know, it's, it's on a street corner, and it's best for people to believe that this is a moment in time on the street corner. I mean, why, why don't you just say that? You know, we don't need to really hint at all this stuff all the time. You know, you give exactly. him more of an adult answer. But he's trying. He's just... trying to be a politician. Ugh. And we see what happens when people. Get, we see what happens with politicians. He's being a politician when it's unnecessary. It's not necessary. Well, the Black Panther, Just well, come the Black real. Panther universe should be too hard to do. <laughs> yeah, that's well, that too. We can't. We can't. You see how you see how people when they, when they really don't want to do something, right. and when and when and, and I really I really want Black Panther to be successful, like over and above successful. I mean, this thing could be. I mean, I have no idea because because that, that movie. I, I'm looking at the poster. I'm like. We see when pe- people have an aversion to dark skin. I hate to say that, but some people, I mean, it, it, I think it's absurd, but some of this stuff may not play well globally. Some of it may, some of it might, some of it might not. I have no idea. But if it, if it deconstructs the, 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 the fear that they had of not being able to, to do this, I mean, th- visually, it looks more legit than Asgard. If you're going to keep it 100, if you're going to keep it 100, it looks even better than Asgard as far as, like, it 
perceivably being in the real world. So I, it does whatever. look more tangible. You're right. It, it does look tangible. more, yeah, I tactile in terms of its design elements. It feels like people people really live here. Yeah. People take the, people fact, take the train. They go to work. They go to the market. In terms of what we've seen of the trailer, I will say a lot of it is stunning. It is gorgeous and very intricately detailed. So, yes, I'm with you there. I'm going to ask you, because somebody mentioned this on a different video, because you, cause you just kind of brought it up just now with something that Lou Desposito, co-CEO, you know, he did of say Marvel. that. He did say that of Marvel. He absolutely said that it would be too difficult to create this whole Wakandan world, this whole thing. And, I mean, if we're going to just – Let's just be real. Let's just let's just come real with it. It's very scary, a scary proposition for any network executive, studio executive, regardless of whether or not you're a comic book company, you know, Marvel Entertainment, Marvel Studios, or if you're freaking Paramount, you know, Universal, you know, Disney in general, it's frightening for anybody to think hey, we should have a movie that has 99% black people. You bring that to the board of directors, you bring that to a conference room where you're deciding what's next on your slate of films for development, yeah, I get it. It's a scary, terrifying proposition. Okay. Okay? Okay. So my question is, just because... It's so par for the course. We're going to use that term now. That's my that's my my quote of the day. Par for the course. It's just it's just how it is, okay? For people to go back on their word, for people to start to backpedal, and for people to go, you know, oh well, actually this, that, the other, instead of just being real, okay? So my question here it is. If Black Panther, if Black Panther came out nine years ago, mm. eight years ago, instead instead of perhaps Thor or the first Captain America or whatever in the incremental films that led up to Avengers and to the MCU as we know it, do you think that it would have been as passionately received as it would be in 2018 when we have this current presidential administration? That's a hard question because, listen, I already told you and the audience that you know approximately that time had, had passed when I went to the first Comic-Con, and even I wasn't as politicized uh, about, like, uh, properties of, of with 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 spice, with ethnicity. I was just caught up in the spectacle until someone came up to me and smacked me around and said, "Hey, did you see Attack the Block?" So th- 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 there has been somewhat of a progression, and also there's been a progression in this culture. I mean, now the nerd space is is the space. Everything, you know, uh, Mario Van Peebles. We didn't talk about it, but Mario Van Peebles has this superstition sci-fi TV series that some folks also said something slick when he saw all these black folks 
on a supernatural series on sci-fi, they were like, well, why, why are there so many black people there? And, someone, and I saw someone on Twitter respond, well, you don't ask that question when you see nothing but white people for, for a supernatural series. So it, it's, it's like a jarring to the senses when things go against a, a, the, the normal default way of looking at things. It's hard to say. I mean, cause, because Blade came out in 97 and did very well. It was, it was able, to, able to do uh, two other sequels. But uh, and even then, certainly, certainly better than Spawn. Definitely better than Spawn. But the thing that's amazing is that if we're gonna, it goes back to my original thesis. Marvel got into the game by having the cool, the cool black guy, uh, and it's been talked about. I think even even uh, Wesley Snipes, the actor, is aware of this. That this whole thing really popped off with a black character. So. There's always a fear of pulling the trigger, and I, I would love for, for Black Panther to exceed expectations because then it will prove you – can, you can pretty much smack um, – um, what's his name? You just said his name. Um, D'Esposito. D'Esposito in the face and say, you, you didn't even want to do this, and it probably will make more money than Thor. Than Thor. It might. I don't know. But if it does a lot – but if it, if it makes a lot of money. And I mean a lot of money. It just it it goes to show you that these people don't have a clue, and that's something that that really bugs me about uh, Hollywood and music and and all these IPs. So many so many of these people speak with so much um, certainty, and there's no certainty with any of this stuff. But they tell you, oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Matter of fact, I had mentioned. Um, and I've been meaning to get him on the show. I spoke to him, uh, Tony Perrier. Tony Perrier and, of course, uh, Erica Alexander, his wife. Um, they have this comic book called Concrete Park. And it's basically a, a multiracial sci-fi space opera. And when they were going to boardrooms, the whole thing of, well, black people don't do sci-fi. You know, this is not going to work. And yet... Somehow, Mario Van Peebles was able to, to, to get this Superstition series going. We see Black Panther. But they, they tell you as if they really know. So I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer that question. It's hard to say. I think uh, I'm a little nervous, actually, of the environment that we're in. I hope, I hope it does well in spite of the current administration because now everyone is kind of, you know, picking sides. But I think he's going to do very well. I, it, I it really. It um, I think I, I truly believe it'll do well, and it, it certainly would have more of a chance of being a box office success, like explosive success, more so in 2018 than in 2008. I firmly believe that, and regardless of the fear that I have and the anxiety I have about this current administration and the world that we live in right now, I'm also seeing a yin yang effect. I'm seeing that on one extreme, I, 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 I see people of prominence that are sexist, racist, pieces of crap, okay? But on the flip side, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the pushback. I'm seeing the antithesis of that. I'm seeing movies like Wonder Woman. 
I'm seeing stuff like, you know, the takedown of Weinstein. I'm seeing, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't even know if we would have really been, I refuse to say woke, okay? I'm just not that cool. I'm just not that cool, kids. Neither am I. But you know what I'm saying. I don't believe that Black Panther would have really stood a chance 10 years ago. As sad as we just, it's just a fact. Because I don't think that people even, even subconsciously were really knowing how much they needed this, craved it, wanted it. And now that we're seeing these trailers, now that we're seeing these images, now that we saw him introduced in Civil War, you know, I mean, I'm seeing grown people, you know, like getting emotional, misty-eyed over the potential, over the possibilities, you know? And yes, yes, for people that have been hardcore comic book fans, this is this is just, you know, the Ark of the Covenant. This is a big effing deal, of course. But what about those who are not of that mindset, who are not part of that community, you know? If it well, wasn't you know, for the fact that things have been going so ugly in the last couple of years, I just don't think that they would have been so much more keen and aware of how much we really need this. But you know something else too, Claire? And, and I don't want to be on this so long because we've got about 13, uh, less than 10 minutes remaining. Things start, we start to cook when it gets like closing time. Isn't that funny? Um, the, Absolutely. The, 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 part, the part that, that really – and I mentioned this. I know our audience is here we go again talking about this combo. I think I do have OCD. I think I, I think I really do have OCD because I, I, I uh, concentrate on things because when it's illogical, it, it's like why does why don't they understand? How come how come this is difficult? So I, I go through this a little bit. So anyway, bear with me as I go through my OCD. Um, the comic book, this EC comic book, um, I can't recollect the name of it, but I reference it a lot. The the, the short story, uh, Judgment Day. I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but you can go to eBay. I'm going. To, I'm even working on getting the comic book to somebody for, for uh, collector's purposes. The 1953 EC comic. Um, I think it was called. I think it's science fiction something. Anyway, it's a science fiction story. The main character was a black, could not see his face, and in and in uh, Twilight Zone Rod Serling fashion, the shocker moment. I guess it was shocking in 1953. See, even the dark skin thing is crazy. And it's one thing to have a fear of dark skin in 1953. It's another thing for it to have a fear in 2017. It's it's it is it's crazy. But this Rod Serling moment in this short story by in EC Comics, where the character is revealed to be a black astronaut, and that it was deliberated in the court system. That you had a judge, I think a judge with comic books, like some kind of judge, and the um, the minutes of the discussion while it was in court, the judge was there was a whole argument about well we can't have black people believing they could be they could be astronauts, but do you understand how crazy that is? That nineteen fifty three is not that long ago to have like an eighteen fifty three conversation. So for these, so for it's not that just that they don't think Black Panther could work. They don't want Black people thinking that they could be in the future doing scientific s. We get. Sometimes I think 
oh, they don't really think that way. But they, they must think that way. We can't have black people looking at this because they'll get ideas. Because I'm thinking, I'm already in my head, well, damn it, we should have a Wakanda. <laughs> Matter of fact, I want it to be, call, I want it to be called Wakanda. That's how, and that's how obsessed I am with this thing. Because I know when people put things in, in the atmosphere, and Catherine talks about this on a cosmic level, on Wednesdays especially, people try real hard to make that happen. They really do. And, it, and, it, and it, it hurts if you see black people doing it. Trust me. We don't want black folks thinking they can have a Wakanda. And we, we, and we don't want black folks thinking they can become astronauts. It's, 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 it's evil. It's evil to, that people think that way, but they think that way. That's it. Black Panther 2018. <laughs> All right. Well, real quick, we got to <laughs> – it is what it is. Hell, I'm in a gym. I was in, I went to the gym twice today, Cap. I went to the gym twice. Okay, the the the, the girl at the front desk, who may be listening. I got I forgot her name. I apologies. Um, Brianna. Brianna. Okay, Brianna. All right. Um, she was like when I was speaking to her, I was like throwing a whole bunch of anecdotes. I gave her a preview of of, of uh, Afro Nerd Radio, and she looked at me like. Wow, I felt like I got an education. I felt like in I felt like in like a three hour dissertation in like twenty minutes. It's the, these things I told her that she didn't she just didn't know. They don't want us knowing anything. They didn't want us to read either. <laughs> they didn't want us to read. I don't know. People are trying real hard for black folks not to know some stuff. I'm just saying. It it trips me out sometimes. Anyway. Let me get let me let me comport myself. Your president doesn't do that, but Afro-Nerd does that. Anyway, uh, um, let me go into this real quick because we got minutes remaining. This is not even on on uh, the topics. We did speak about this a little bit. Uh, is it my imagination that that Supergirl is like getting better third season? Like this that, this, this no, last it's getting better, it's getting better, it's getting better. It's like more serious. <laughs> She, she fought yep. this. Uh, this was uh, Triggers. Triggers was the uh, episode, episode two, season three. And she fights this metahuman um, that had psychic powers. Uh, the character was called Psy, P-S-I, Psy. And the whole tone was very science fiction-y. It was less campy. Um, I see that maybe the masculinity of the black uh, Jimmy Olsen I just got this hint. He and uh, he and um, Lena Luther, something may be going on there. I would feel comfortable if they had some coffee. That's like me. <laughs> Have you some coffee, brother? That's just me. Okay, I'm joking, but not really. I did. That, did you see that episode, Cap? Of course, it was a good episode. And did you hit, did you hit, feel, feel a little coffee thing going on there between these two? Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I gotta see if I see a if I see a statuesque black man. Not that I'm built exactly like that character, but I'm getting there. I'm like uh, he's like six three. I'm six two. Or whatever. <laughs> All right. I gotta believe because I've I've dealt with this in real time. Black man walks through the office. I can't help but exude certain abilities. I know what's going down. That black man 
tall, statuesque, dark skinned. I, I hate to go into skin color politics. I got the Q storm now. I don't even do that. I don't like doing that. That's not me. I don't care about that. But that brother's supposed to be regulating that office. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, want to, I see that in Smallville. I mean, Smallville. Supergirl. It gets my blessing if I see what I need to see. Proceed. You may proceed, Captain. I had. That's it. It's getting better. Yeah, it's getting better. The show is better. It's getting it's better. More built for my sensibilities now. Thank First you. Season was killing me. Oh my god! But it wasn't for me. You know this. I actually like the show now. I'm like yeah, let's go. More for my sensibilities. I I would say this uh, quickly, and then Claire can chime in uh, to be a little reptilian. Sorry. Um, Just like the great Morris Day was asked, why do you wear baggies? Because Rollo needs his freedom. I want to (laughs) see that brother uh, act like a – I want – he needs – get some coffee. That's it. I'm shutting up. No more pansiness. Be real. And also, McGann is making an appearance also, John Johnson's uh, love interest. Things are starting to straighten out. Thank you. You may proceed, Claire. Sorry for the foolishness. <laughs> it is what it is. <sighs> well, hey, you know, I I haven't had a chance to, to see episode two. I definitely saw the first one of the season. And already I can sense that the tone has clearly shifted. All right? And I'm good. I'm good with that. Let's do that, okay? Not to say that she has to be all rough and tough and gruff and just like, you know, I don't want her to be bitter and angry and, you know, all cold and trying to – I'm not trying to say that we got to change who Kara is, you know, but I'm good with the notion that perhaps we need to have her grow up a bit. All right, that the show, the show needs to mature a bit. So if they're going to be a little bit more serious, all right, then bring it on. Yes, more of that. More of that, please. Because not to say that I hated the first two seasons, but I definitely feel like there's a lot more potential now, you know, to, to to be more adult about how you tell some of these stories. So I'm good. I'm absolutely thrilled, and I'm very happy for, um, for I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I know one of the, the supervising producers of the show, and I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled. If this is the direction that you want to take this, then have at it. We're, 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 I'm, I'm down. I'm absolutely down for this. So, so yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know how I feel yet about Flash, you know. I don't, I I just I'm gonna be honest. My interest has really waned over the last couple of years. Season one Flash, wow, it felt so fresh. It felt so you know knocking it out of the park. Hell, they stole the they stole the the real top, you know, top notch in terms of um, the DC Berlanti universe, they stole that away from uh, from Arrow. Arrow. You know, in terms of being the flagship, the, the, like the, the cream of the crop, you know, 
in terms of highest ratings, in terms of overall, you know, fandom and success. I mean, yeah, season one slash was terrific. Two, all right, okay, sure, all right. Three, I don't know. What's uh, what's going on here? What's going on here? As soon as that whole reveal of him, a remnant, a time remnant, duplicate, whatever the hell, being Savitar, I was like, okay, you lost me. What you going to do to get me back? And so it's a little bit too early to tell if they're going to be able to pull that off with season four, but we'll see. We'll see. And, but uh, I'm sorry, Wally, Wally, cut your hair. Cut your damn I, hair. I'm sorry, but that was just, what the, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't. It was distracting. It was just distracting. Speak, speak I was like, no, 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 no. Only, only Cisco can get to have the beautiful locks of hair. Wally, nah, nah. Well, first, we're already, we're already in podcast mode. So, and uh, Kirk is chastising me for not being professional, for, like, not stopping when we're supposed to. Uh, well, these things happen. We have such a good time. Sometimes we, we really go into, like, over over mode. Uh, it is what it is. And speaking of Morris Day, his cut is like a Morris Day cut. So it is a little off put. Off 1980, 85, 90 maybe, <clears throat> I could kind of see that cut. But I don't, I, I don't know. That, that, that's the actor with his own sensibilities interjecting into the character. Like, you know, if you have to rock a Caesar or whatever or a high-top fade for the character, then you need to roll with the character because they're paying you some good money. But he wants to kind of be – I can just tell. Because I've heard the character – I'm sorry, the actor uh, speak about stuff. And, he, you, know, he, you know, the actor is not the, the character. But, you know, you, 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 know, you got a job. You got to kind of comply with the job. So I don't know. It, it, again, again it, was a li- it was a little distracting. People, everybody's asking, what's up with that? So, I mean, you know, it is what it is. I, it, okay, we have to kind of enjoy what we can while we can. Right. Uh, right. Like what you say, I don't know what to think about Flash. Uh, I, I, I'm actually digging Supergirl. I, I really want you to check out the second episode because it was, it was just, there's like another hero kind of on the horizon. And we don't, her, her arc, we don't know what, where she's coming from. She's a mother, a young, a young single mother. So already the way, the way that she's being introduced into the series is just very interesting. Uh, we have no idea what she's doing. McGann, who we know McGann as uh, John Johnson's love interest in, the, in animation, she was his niece. So uh, they're, they're definitely tapping into the mythology for Supergirl. Um, so I, you know, but the tone was so like serious as you see, she's kind of going through this, 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 this emotional arc because of her loss of Monel. So it makes sense, but everything, everything tonally is like completely different. So I kind of appreciate it. I really do. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it works. Uh, on that note, Claire, we appreciate you always. Uh, next time we'll try to stop it. These, these time goes just so quickly when we start really digging in. I, I, all of a sudden, it's my like my apologies, my apologies, Cap. I'm very sorry. My bad. But you know yeah, how we the, are. You know how we are. We're excited, and also the podcast folks, when they listen to this, they're not going to know the, the difference. 
it's only for the live listeners that it's problematic. But next time, I promise, we'll, we'll try to stop this uh, in an appropriate way. Um, folks, this has been another Grindhouse installment. We'll be back again next week, same channel, same time. Uh, let's go out with something quick. <laughs> this is uh, – okay, I'm going to be self-indulgent because, listen, we're talking about this Afro, Afro-future stuff. This is the king of Afrofuturism. This is Sun Ra. Sun Ra, an Afrofuturist, certainly. Angels and Demons at Play. That's the name of the cut. Next week, folks, Daryl Wednesday, believe it or not, of all people. Claire, you know how I feel, as always. Next week, folks. Appreciate it. It's been real.